Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to a special birthday episode. Today is Alan's birthday pick and we are reviewing Waves. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. So we are taking a break with the Die Hard franchise. We'll be coming back next week with Die Hard with a Vengeance. So that does give you time to catch up on the reviews. So go ahead and check those out. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast no matter where you're listening. Um, In the description below, we've always got the next reviews coming up. We've got timestamps if you're ready to jump in. We have tons of great content in the description below. No matter where you're at, make sure to leave us five stars. So Alan, this is your birthday pick. And I I know you picked um, Kresha. I want to say it was a a year or two ago I, I don't remember which birthday pick it was but mm-hmm. this is from the same director right right yeah exact same director um and in fact i wanted to do this um i think once or twice for a birthday pick i, I know at least once mm-hmm. um where i considered it and we ended up going down a different route uh but i've been <laughs> really wanting to re- to talk, at least talk about this movie um, I think I mentioned for the Oscars that year for whenever the, the Oscars and for the for this 2019 were happening. I did mm, mention mm-hmm. waves and how it was snubbed. Um, yeah. But at the very least, it is a movie that uh, I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And yes, it is by the same director, Trey Edward Schultz. Um, so this is the second of his three movies that we are now talking about, two of which are uh done by my birthday picks so Mm -hmm. i guess we could say he's one of my favorite directors um now that two of his three films are on this list i have seen all of his movies um but i haven't seen it come tonight in a long time so yeah yeah i'm curious you you did skip over his second theatrical film it comes at night we won't we won't be reviewing that here or giving our thoughts but i'm curious could that ever be a pick to review here on the podcast or is that or is that one maybe not maybe you're just not because i'm curious about that i would need to watch it again um it's a movie uh, see i watched it well around the time of kresha whenever i watched kresha and then i watched that um Mm -hmm. not long after it so i haven't seen it for a number of years so i remember like very very little from it which is why i want to go back and watch it i don't know why i haven't i i own it on blu-ray um <laughs> so I need to go back and watch it. Then maybe we'll yeah. be able to, I'll be able to tell you if I if I would watch it or if we would like to review it or not. I would love to kind of review everything of his, which now at this point is really just leaving that one. And we have talked about mm-hmm. that, you know, going through uh, at least the remaining two of his films, but we could just, you know, never really fit really well into the schedule anywhere. Um mm-hmm. so maybe someday. I would love to just review it just to get all of his films out of the way um since it's just the one but maybe someday i'll have to go back and watch it to really kind of give more thoughts on how i really feel about it i still haven't seen it so it oh, is really? w- yeah it's i've had the opportunity but now it's off of 
the streaming platforms I'm subscribed to. So it'll come back around eventually. I've been meaning to check it out. From what I understand, it's quite different than mm-hmm. his first and third film. So I'm curious to check that one out. Listeners, we may come around to that one. So as far as waves go, I saw this movie. You introduced me to this movie. Um, right. I checked Letterboxd October 30th, 20, the day before Halloween, I guess. <laughs> I guess we I guess watched so. it. October 30th, 2020 is when we watched it. So it's been like over a year and a half since I've seen this movie. And I haven't seen it since. Right. I, yeah, that's right. I guess that wouldn't, well, I guess that was the last time I watched it is what I showed you. Um, Cause I've seen this probably about, uh, about 10 times, I think. Um, Cause I watched it once in the theater, actually about a, two years ago uh, to the day, almost this for me recording this. I watched it in a theater. It was a very, very small theater. Like I think no more than uh, it could see like 20 people. And there were yeah. only about like six of us there. That tiny. Um, it was so I, I ended up uh, loving this movie when I walked out of the theater. I bought it pretty much immediately as I as fast as I could off of Amazon and then pretty much immediately showed my brother and cousins and then later showed my other cousin. Um, and then I showed you and I think I watched it actually one more time after that just because I wanted to see it again. Um, so I think about five or six times, I think I've seen this movie now and about a two year span, uh, now about seven because we watched it for this review. So I think by this point I'm detecting a pattern either in your <laughs> birthday picks or the movies you want to review because we've reviewed Patterson and I know we, did you and I review a ghost story or did we review that with somebody else? I don't, yeah, I'm trying to remember I remember I watched it. I know I went and saw it in the theater. I'm trying to remember if I wrote a review on it or if we were talked about it or what the story was there. I don't remember exactly what the history is with a ghost story in this podcast. Hmm. I just know that you at least showed it to me and you also showed me yeah. Patterson. And I've noticed you have a habit of showing me things and, <laughs> and then we review them and then I watch them again. And... I this, guess it's true. I never really thought about that. This seems to be like I'm seeing with the pattern, like kind of there's some similar themes as far as those movies go with mm-hmm. life. You seem to be drawn towards like life dramas. I don't know if that's how to describe them. Yeah, no, I think that you're right. I think that um, I found that uh, some of my favorite pieces of like content, is, especially like movies or even TV shows, is those that are heavy on the drama but are also heavy on realism. So I think that's kind of where, you know, Krisha and this movie of two and a ghost story is a little bit different than maybe outside of what I just said. But I think bottom line is if it's a story that's relatively realistic, that is heavy on drama and dives into some more personal themes within the characters, I usually tend to enjoy it. So yeah, no, there definitely is a common theme between you know, at least all of the birthday picks that I've that we've that I've done in the past, um, but even some of my favorite movies are all kind of in the same vein. Well, Corbin, uh, did you watch? Did let me think. Did we, did we see the trailer? I know I didn't, but did you watch this trailer at all before we watched it or after we watched it? Um, did you ever watch this trailer? So the most I ever saw of this movie before you just showed it to me was the poster. And there was a lot of buzz around the movie and I didn't see a thing about it. I missed it. Um, 
and then I just I watched it with you. I the first time I watched this trailer was for this review. So okay. I didn't know a thing about this movie going into it actually. Nothing whatsoever. So the trailer is a very well edited trailer. It's a very well put together trailer. Would it get me into theaters? Maybe. I can't say for certain this would. Um to me this looks a little bit like Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll disagree with me here. It looks mm -hmm. like it's kind of harkening back to some of the intensity and feelings of a movie like Ordinary People, where it is a family drama about a family that has some problems, some clearly some heartache and whatnot. Uh, it looks to be more of a 21st century version of that. So ultimately, that's my verdict. Maybe I can't say for certain whether this would get me into theaters. It would pique my interest, but I, I can't say I probably go see it in theaters right yeah for me i definitely skipped the trailers on this um all i really need to know was it was a new trait edward schultz film that's all i needed to know uh <laughs> i would have been i would have been in the theater anyways um mm -hmm. if i if i saw his name anywhere on this project so i hadn't really seen the trailer actually i don't think i've i may have seen it like as like a preview to another film that came out close around this time that it that this released um, I don't really remember seeing this trailer if that is the case. So I, I would, I'm willing to bet that this is the first time I'm watching these trailers too for this review. Um, it definitely, uh, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It feels like an ordinary people like vibe, um, but just, you know, a, more of a modern telling of the, of the same story. Uh, I think that, you know, the trailer does kind of not, it does a really good job at like, you know, prodding the interest but like not giving too much away i think it mm -hmm. does a really good job at that um if i wasn't a big fan of trey edward schultz i would be a little bit i i would think i would wait to see what uh people thought about it before i mm -hmm. went to go see it if i if i could even go and see it in the theater because it got a pretty limited run oh. um so if, if I wasn't the case, then I probably would wait to see what it was about, you know, see what the scores are, see what people are saying about it. But I'm already a fan of, of Trey Edward Schultz. I love his work. Um, Krisha is one of my favorites. And now this one is too. So of course I was going to see it in theater at some point, no matter what. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Waves and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film and then come back and click play here and we'll be ready to talk about it. Popular high school student Tyler seemingly has it all, the perfect girlfriend, a career set out for him, a happy, albeit strict family. But his life begins to fall apart when he severely damages his already injured shoulder during a wrestling match. It's also discovered that his girlfriend, Alexis, is pregnant and decides to keep the baby. She got some out of her life when it becomes clear that Tyler does not share the same opinion about their child. Tyler is then sentenced to life in prison after inadvertently murdering Alexis on homecoming night after attempting to make amends while drunk, high, and extremely emotional. His family is left to pick up the pieces, but ultimately have a hard time dealing with the fallout. They begin blaming each other or themselves for what happened and start to grow apart. Emily, the daughter, attempts to escape her oppressive home and school life and gets a new boyfriend. However, she cannot escape that which she refuses to deal with. While fishing with her dad, Emily reveals her hatred toward her brother and what he did. Rowan, the dad, tells her that holding on to that much hate will ultimately destroy a person. What Tyler did may have been horrible, but he is still a human being. Hatred stirs up strife, but love, love conquers all offenses, he tells her. 
Emily later convinces her boyfriend Luke to visit his dying father before he succumbs to cancer. He agrees and they make a trip to Missouri where Luke and his dad meet and make amends before he passes away a couple of days after their arrival. Meanwhile, Father Roland is shown attending church on his own and makes an attempt to reconnect with his wife, Catherine. In the end, we see Emily riding her bike down the road, now freed from her hatred as Alabama Shakes, Sound and Color plays over the credits. The first thing that hit me when we watched this movie together, Alan, mm-hmm. didn't come in till, I don't know, probably an hour, hour and a half into it, is the, I would say, kind of the core of the story. And that really is the themes of redemption and forgiveness. And the fact that I have no idea what Schultz's faith is, but the faith of this movie seems to be Christianity. There Mm -hmm. is sequences in church. And then uh, you brought it up in the plot summary. I looked it up. It's Proverbs 10, 12, talking about how love covers all offenses. And the movie openly calls that out. doesn't really back away from the Christian message of redemption and forgiveness and moving on. So that's one thing I wasn't expecting in this movie, considering don't want to spoil anything, but Krisha, from what I recall, doesn't have a lot of <laughs> moving on redemption type elements to it. It's more of the heartbreak side of it all. So to me, this is yeah. very interesting. Schultz is weaving this throughout the story. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, I I'm, I don't think that there really was any mention of uh, like where the beliefs of the family is in Carisha. Um, but yeah, you're right. In, in this movie, it's definitely very apparent, um, at least, you know, the where a lot of the major themes are at least stemming from. They seem to be Christian in, in origin mm-hmm. um, because there's, you know, the biggest theme or the biggest idea in the story is, you know, the family learning to forgive um, they're, they're, the family learning, the family learning to forgive Tyler in what he did. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they have to come to that conclusion. They have to be able to face that in order for them to even s- try to come back together and try to repair that, what was that, which was broken. Um, so, yeah, no, you're right. I think that it's, I was surprised too. I was surprised that, you know, not only is it, you know, uh, a common theme here, um, or at least shows up once or twice, but it's like, you know, almost apparent throughout the entire film, especially in the second half. The second half is when it really comes out. Um, and it does it in a way that I think is not overbearing, but definitely uh, apparent that this is, you know, at least, you know, where these major themes are coming from, they seem to be uh, Christian in nature, Christian in origin, which I think is uh, also was not what I was expecting when I went to go mm-hmm. see this in the theater. I wasn't yeah. expecting there to be, you know, anything really necessarily Christian uh, coming out of it, but majorly that I think that there is, you know, at least in terms of where, again, all, where all these major themes are coming from, they seem to be Christian in origin. And there is a major dichotomy set up in this movie between, I would say, the first half of the movie and the second half of the movie, mm-hmm. whereas the first half, you don't really see a lot of that forgiveness pretty much at all. It really is just a lot of pressure from Tyler's point of view, and it is kind of living fast, living free, you know, consequence free until the consequences are really extreme. And then the second half does slow down quite a bit. It is more kind of taking a taking a breath, enjoying life, and then pushing through 
that kind of heartache and intensity from the first half of the movie and moving on. So that's something I noticed more so the second time around is kind of Mm -hmm. that clear line between the halves of the film. Yeah, there are what it feels like kind of two movies mashed together. Uh, But I don't (laughs) think that one could exist without the other. I think that both halves of this movie are very much needed to tell this story correctly. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking about it um, today on the train, you know, you know, would this movie work if it was split in half and told in two movies? I don't think it really could. And the reason why I say that is because one half, like I guess kind of how I mentioned it a second ago, one half just can't exist without the other. The story would feel incomplete to have it, you know, say one movie is uh, Tyler's downfall and then the next movie is Emily and the family coming back together and learning to deal with what happened in the previous film. Um, I think that, you know, doing going down that route ultimately would not have the same effect as telling it in one story, one go, because the first half, you know, explains, we get to, you know, at least understand, you know, what happened to Tyler. Um, and then at the second half, get to see, now that we have that, you know, that all that time that we spent with him, like an hour and a half, now we get to see, you know, how does the family didn't deal with that? And how are they going to ultimately come back together? Is it even possible for them to do so? Um, I think that it's almost impossible for it to be split into two movies. Um, However much I would love this movie to go on for more than just the two hours and 15 minute runtime. Um, I think that, you know, spinning it up, you know, any more than it already is, it ultimately would end up ruining the film than than helping it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something controversial. Okay. I think Tyler's side of the story isn't like the actual movie, which is kind of strange. I don't think that's the actual necessarily the point of the movie i think it's Mm -hmm. the precursor to where schultz really wants to get he to me i think he wants to really deal with the family dynamics and the heartbreak he wants to deal with the aftermath he gives us plenty of time with the setup but with this watching it seemed almost like tyler's stuff is really the setup for the main crux of the movie for the core of the movie because this isn't a traditional setup for a story i don't think so Mm -hmm. anyway we're thrown into this slice of life from a high school student under pressure from getting his girlfriend pregnant from essentially destroying his shoulder from not living up to his dad's standards he still doesn't quite know what to think of his stepmom he doesn't have much of a relationship with his sister And what happens when all of that goes really, really wrong? Um, It's a weird way to set up. It's, it's not, I won't say weird. I would say it's not traditional way to set up a movie or even tell a story per se. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. Actually. Um, This is definitely, you know, the, the first half of this movie, you know, it, it could be that, you know, all they condense it down to just, you know, maybe the length of one act. So like, you know, like half an hour or something like that. But I think that then if that if Trey Edward Schultz was to do that, we would be missing out on a lot of, you know, getting inside of his shoes, you know, watching his life fall apart without it really being one person's fault, really. Um, and then having the second act, which I think you're right, is definitely where uh, Trey is, you know, wanting to tell. This is where he wants the meat of the story to come from. The message of the story to come from is that second half. If it was to be condensed down to, like half an hour, then we wouldn't feel 
the same emotional impact that we do now when it gets to that second half and we do get to learn, you know, what the family needs to do and have those emotional scenes. So I think that you're absolutely right. I think that, uh, you know, this is a film where, uh, you know, we have to have that lengthy first half to that, you know, only tells half the story and only tells it from Tyler's point of view, um, where we get to see his downfall so that audience can, for one, you know, empathize and get into his shoes and understand, you know, what happens to him and, you know, whose fault it is or whose fault it isn't for what happens to him. And then for the family that didn't have to deal with that and have to go through life and figure out how to, you know, forgive him and forgive each other for what happened and that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is there is, and they say this a couple of times in the beginning in the, in the first uh, act, um, is they bring up this quote of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, right? But then the, I think this mostly comes out in the preacher, but then the preacher goes on and says, but there's also the love aspect, right? You know, it also takes a village to love a child. And so I think that this ends up raising a really interesting question, which I hadn't really thought about until this viewing, is while it takes may take, you know, a community or a village to raise and love a child, is it that same's is it the same community or village's fault when that child ultimately does something wrong, right? And then and this is of course an extreme case. Uh, you know, what happens, whose fault is it when uh in the case of Tyler, when Tyler goes downhill and, uh, you know, inadvertently commits murder and kills his girlfriend and then is sentenced to life in prison, his life is essentially over. Mm -hmm. Is it that same community's fault for that happening? And I think that this film kind of lands on, it's hard to say. It maybe not, but at the same time, it's just one of those things that just ends up happening mm -hmm. because of just how life works. Um, I think that's an interesting viewpoint, but that's uh, at least something that I noticed this time around that I hadn't noticed previously is the community aspect. Yeah, and the community aspect, and I think the community starts with the parents. The, how, how are the parents involving their kids in the community? The yeah. parents seem to yeah. treat church more so like an obligation rather than actually something. It's, it's just good for you. Just do it. It's not really like, oh, we're really here to like enjoy this, to learn to grow together. I found that to be very interesting because the parents, I think, are just as important to this story, even though they don't have their own point of view or their own act, per se. It's really mostly the brother and sister story, but um, because they're the byproducts of their parents' upbringing. So, the parents are still just as important to this as well. And honestly, I got to say, probably my favorite part of this movie is um, Sterling K. Brown's performance. Um, yeah. he's just He just makes anything better. Like I think I thought he made like Black Panther better, even though he wasn't in very much of it. But um, mm -hmm. he does a great job as being really hard on his son in the beginning, and then you just see him—you just see his heart melt um, after his right. son goes to prison, and then he deals with his daughter. And I think this is a cautionary tale, um, not really pointed towards youth per se, but mostly pointed towards parents, saying parents take an interest in your kid's life. You know, if they're kind of a ending up bad right now, it's because you probably didn't invest the proper time in them or, or really teach them the mm -hmm. way you thought, um, because that's just how these parents go about is. I also think it's kind of an indictment on our current, you know, I don't know what to call it, our kind of social media, you know, bubblegum type society where everything is so shallow and superficial 
But what happens when what you go deeper beyond the silly little texts and you see people are dealing with some really heavy issues and these kids just aren't equipped to deal with these issues that they get themselves into. So to me, the movie more so is a big indictment on not just family dynamics, but just like you're saying, the um, the society, the village in general, like what we're kind of messing up right now <laughs> is what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah. I think that there is a lot that this movie has to at least portray mm -hmm. maybe not you know necessarily dive too deep into a lot right, of different right. elements but to at least you know portray like you were mm -hmm. saying you know um the fact that people have a lot of things that they have to deal with sometimes they're very very real and very very serious like your girlfriend is pregnant um now she wants to keep they keep the baby up um you know aside from what you think and now she's blocked you um, they bringing in uh, the social media aspect of it all, you know, it just makes things even worse. And, you know, are we equipped to handle something like that? You know, is this something that, um, is this something that, you know, we should talk to our kids about or, you know, and something about it, right? I think that you're right. I think that that's one of the, one of the aspects of this film, uh, maybe not its main focus, but at least something that it portrays is, you know, the social media aspect, which I think, even from just a social media and like more modern viewpoint, I think it handles better than most movies because most movies, they kind of throw it in your face about, oh, this person said this on Instagram <laughs> or whatever. Whereas this one, it just kind of shows, it just kind of shows it and then shows the characters' reactions to it. Um, where, you know, we see one of the, one of the most important scenes um, or at least one of the most effective scenes is when it's like, homecoming night and we see a bunch of videos playing through on like full screen and then it cuts out a, and it cuts farther away and it's tyler looking at his phone looking at instagram seeing uh his girlfriend alexis with some other guy uh going to homecoming and he's you know getting fired up about that um that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about so i think it appreciates a lot of other things one of those things also is just the the current state of social media um, or the current state of just human communication when it comes to more younger people. I think that's also the different things that this movie does at least takes into account when it comes to telling its story, which I think is very interesting. It makes, you know, this world feel a little bit more believable than most other films that I've seen that, that also portray the same thing. Yeah. And it's incredibly ironic because this is depicting a youth culture that doesn't place value on life. Because Tyler wants to go have his baby aborted. And the completely ironic thing is he does have the baby aborted, but not in the way he was expecting it to. Um, I think it portrays it in a much more emotionally hard-hitting way. Where he ends mm -hmm. his girlfriend's life, the baby's life, and then his life, as you said, pretty much comes to an end also. Um, so that's that's kind of a big twist uh but we do see tyler in prison he does pray before he eats so he seems to be kind of turning right. towards um a deeper truth towards something more transcendental than just you know his videos on his phone or texting and whatnot uh still can't get over the way right. they text it's very accurate but i don't like it i'm it i'm is. getting older so <laughs> it's it's just funny right. it is but um you, you know the other thing is I found the ending of this movie to be very somber, but that's not necessarily mm -hmm. a bad thing. At first, I thought it was almost too somber, but once we get fuller on into it and you see the family moving on together, of course, they have to play a sad Radiohead song, um, just like in Incendies yeah. when they're playing that Radiohead song. But um, 
you know, it ends on a note of hope, hope that this family will be redeemed and move on. And honestly, I'm very right. happy about that. Um, Ordinary People isn't quite that way. I don't want to spoil it for you, but some movies don't have this kind of hope. They just are kind of mm -hmm. like very nihilistic. And this, thankfully, this movie's not that way. Right. And one of the other things, too, is I've I found, especially on this viewing, I, I noticed it the most. Um, this movie is definitely not one about finality. It's mm -hmm. not one that has a definite beginning or a definite end. Yeah, and what true. I mean by that is in terms of the characters and also where the story ends up. Because when the story begins, we kind of just hop in the middle of Tyler's life, right? He's already in high school. He's a, I think he's a senior. Mm -hmm. um, he's a big time wrestler. You know, his life is great. And we just kind of hop in the middle of it. And then we ride from there until, uh, and at least until the end of the summer. Um, and we get to go through his life and then we get to go through the aftermath and through Emily's life. And then, like you said, the movie, when the movie ends, it doesn't end on like, oh, everything's all of a sudden just fixed, right? Everything's all of a sudden just magically done. Everything's fixed. Everything, everyone's okay. It doesn't end like that. It ends on a more somber note, but filled with hope, right? It's one, when it ends, it, it comes to, well, the family is going down the path, is beginning to go down the path of healing. And we're starting to get to the point now where they're going to start talking again and start working things out. We don't get to see all that. We only get to see the beginning of it. And I think that's what makes this film at least so engaging is that it's not one to, you know, it's not going to be one that gives you absolutely every single little detail, right? There are a lot of details that it just doesn't explain or a lot of details that it won't explain until like it's too late. For, like, for example, when Tyler goes out to uh, find uh, Alexis when he's like really drunk and high um, that night of the homecoming, we find out that Catherine is not their real mom. Oh, yeah. That was information we were not told until that yeah. moment. Um, so we, it's a movie that ends up, you know, providing information right only when it really needs mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because it makes you, it makes this world feel like it's been really lived in and that these are real characters. And, you know, we're just watching as these events unfold and part and experiencing as these event un uh, events unfold. And we're not, you know, being explained absolutely every little detail. I think that's something that I, f I hear and see way too often now is that everything has to be explained in movies. Mm -hmm. And this is one that definitely goes the opposite route and does and intentionally does not explain enough. So the world feels a lot more authentic. It really does. And I think that also just lends to the family dynamics with this family's severe lack of communication is they're mm -hmm. not properly communicating with each other and moving on from like the mother's death and that this is their stepmother, but she's raised seemingly raised them. We don't know for how long, but there is a huge breakdown. Also, uh, it's a great scene between the brother and sister in the bathroom when he's crying and you come to realize yeah. that they're scared. They're scared of the parents finding out, which is true, but they're also, there's just a sad lack of relationship between the brother and sister. Um, and then it ultimately comes when it's, it's not too late when he goes to prison, they can go visit him, which the mom does at the end, which is a big mm -hmm. point considering he's like, you're not my mom and he treats her horribly. Right. And then she comes to visit him in, in prison towards the end. Um, but nevertheless, yeah. Um, mostly the family communication, you get to see that broken down. And I do want to commend him for that. You bring up a very good point, Alan Schultz does a great job with delivering information to the audiences in a way that doesn't feel like we're being spoon fed and honestly does take us by surprise where we can tell there's something wrong with these relationships, 
but it's just delivered so organically that you're right. It is mm-hmm. almost like somebody puts a camera in th- in these people's houses and we just get to watch their lives unfold. So for me though, I will say, I have a feeling you are going to disagree with me. For me, okay. it's almost too real to make this enjoyable to sit down and watch for two hours. It's emotionally difficult to just watch this movie, I will say. Yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. It's definitely not one that I'm going to go back and watch it again right now because it is very emotionally draining. Uh, yeah. uh, it's one that, you know, really likes to dig deep into harder topics and, you know, dig deep into some of the things that maybe people don't want to think about. Um, but I think at the same time, there can be a lot of really good lessons learned for a movie doing something like that, where it takes you along this journey where you get to see, you know, the real, very realistic downfall of a of a high school student. Um, and then, you know, what can we learn from something like that? So I, I do agree. I think that this is one that is heavy. It's meant to be very heavy. Um, but I will say that for me, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me very much because I don't always judge a movie about how rewatchable it is. I judge a movie by, you know, what does it have to say and how well does it say that? And I think that, you know, while it is emotionally draining, I do agree with you on that. Um, it is one that, you know, because, you know, what it has to say is, I think, important and how it says it is very effective. I think it's one that I can consider to be one of my favorites because of how well it does those two things. But I do, I do understand where you're coming from. I do agree with you. It is one that can be hard to watch sometimes and not one that uh, exactly is the most happiest of, of films, even though it does end on a, you know, a relatively lighter note than what, it, you know, what happens in the middle of this film. Now, as far as the two stories go between the brother and the sister, for me, it's hard to say which of these two stories I find to be better because I think there is strong points in each of them. I feel like the sister story, now, this is probably where you might disagree with me. I think the sister story is maybe a bit too meandering for my taste. It's got a little bit too much in it. Um, I think they could probably trim it down for my taste. Whereas Tyler's, I feel like it's just different because they're so opposites. Tyler's is fast. Mm-hmm. The, op- the movie opens with a spinning camera and tons of right. shots that are zooming in and out. And it's like, welcome to the life of a high school senior. We don't have time. We're having fun. And then later on, does it slow down a little bit? And then it speeds back up. For the sister, it's mostly fairly slow moving, really intimate portraits of her and her boyfriend in the shower. There's a lot of these shower and bathtub scenes or they're just swimming, they're just kissing, they're finally enjoying life, taking a minute to slow down, which is what Tyler and his girlfriend did too, but theirs was plagued with a lot more difficulties, I would say. So for me, I think it's kind of a combo of the two that I I like, but uh, I don't know, I think the sisters might be a little too slow for my tastes. Yeah, and I definitely thought the same thing when I had first watched this movie. While I loved it in the end, I felt like, you know, at least the first, you know, 20 or so minutes of the sister's portion of the story was, you know, kind of slow. And I think that looking back at it now, while I think that is very true, it's meant to be slower, it's meant to be a different pace than what 
uh, we see with Tyler, I think that it's also meant to be a point of reprieve, a point of uh, you know slowing down and taking a little bit of a break than you know what we just mm -hmm. saw with Tyler. And at the same time, also showing Emily how she's trying to evade what's happening, what's really happening at home, and you know the reality of what she's actually living in, which is you know the students are kind of being really mean to her and are not very nice. Mom and dad are not having the best of relationships right now. And we do get that. We do get scenes where, you know, everything's great and happy and fun until all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, uh, we we cut to the parents mm -hmm. having an argument, like a really serious and hard yeah. argument. Um, and so I, I think I, I, I do agree with you. Or I would have agreed with you more uh, when I walked out of the theater for the first time. I do think that Emily's portion is a little bit too slow when I first walked out. Nowadays, um, when I, after watching it more than once, um, it does take a different tone. It is more meant more to be slice of life like, um, and I think that it doesn't bother mm. me as much now. And I think part of that is because I've, I, when I first watched this movie, I wasn't, I, I guess, as into more slice of life moments than I am now. Um, but I can, I can see where you're coming from. It, it definitely takes a totally different tone and a different pace. Um, part of it is to be a contrast, like you were talking about with what happened with Tyler in a bit of, you know, a little bit of a break than <laughs> yeah. what we have with Tyler, but I can see where you're coming from. It is definitely slower than before. And for some, and for some, it might yeah. be too slow. So I, I can see where you're coming from. All right, Alan, I got to know what you think about the camera in this movie, because it huh. is a 360. <laughs> I was wondering where you were talking about it. <laughs> it's a, it's a shocking opening, honestly, to me, where it's just spinning mm -hmm. around in the car tons of fast camera movement zooming in and out moving 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 this i mean i almost put in my notes i don't think there's a static shot in this movie until we get deep into this film until there is like yeah. oh okay so there is some static shots where it really is but in the beginning um well we haven't even talked about the aspect ratios yet but nevertheless mm -hmm. i gotta know alan do you like this camera in the beginning of the movie Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I've never, okay. I've, there are very few movies that, uh, you know, really take the camera and make it a character of its own. Oftentimes, mm. you know, there could be good cinematography and, oh, that shot looks really good and that kind of thing. Uh, okay. but very rarely do I ever see a movie where the character or the, one of the characters of the story is the camera itself. And we talked about a little bit earlier, how it, it kind of feels like we were just kind of dropped into these characters lives and, the camera kind of is the same way, but also it's like almost a mind of its own at times. One of the opening shots is the camera just spinning around in the car while mm -hmm. it's actually kind of a funny moment because I didn't I actually didn't realize this until this viewing. Um, when they're when they're driving, when uh, Tyler and uh, Alexis are driving down the road, um, they're on a bridge and mm -hmm. the lyrics of the song are talking about a bridge and the part of the song is like the bridge of the song. Uh, oh. And it's kind of spinning around mm -hmm. as they're kind of just, you know, hanging out and having fun driving down the road and a camera's just spinning and it just keeps spinning uh, for a long time. And I remember being like, when I watched it, I was like, what in the world am I seeing? This is amazing. Why do no <laughs> other movies do this? So no, I, I absolutely love this camera, the way that Trey, Trey Edward Schultz moves in places and, and works with the camera in this film because you don't see this very often. It's It feels like it has a mind of its own at times. And I love that because Again, it becomes a character also of its own in the story. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it's a character along with Tyler and along with Emily. The camera is also a character in and of itself. Yeah, that's true. I am more of the kind of guy 
I like my static shots. I oh, like yeah. my I like my tracking shots. So to me, this was almost too much to handle. I think I think that's kind of the test, honestly, if you're going to be engaged in this movie or not, is can mm-hmm. you keep up with the movement of this camera? Can you keep up with these characters' lives? Because clearly, as I've already said, the camera is, like you said, it has a mind of its own, but it kind of has almost the mind of a teenager where it's yeah. just kind of going in different directions. It's never going to like settle down and be consistent until the end of the movie. So on a, I don't know what you want to say, a metaphorical level or something on that kind of a level, it's well done. But as far as like my own personal tastes go, the camera movement is, and I, I get it. I probably sound like crotchety right now. The camera's too <laughs> fast or something, but for right. me, it's a little too much. Um, before we get too far into other technical aspects, the one other thing that I forgot to bring up, I know we've talked about how the writing is good and the acting is good. The one thing, curious to know if, if you've thought of this or not, the one mm-hmm. point of real contention I have with the writing, we have to assume that Tyler schedules, I, I'm assuming, I, I don't know, I guess he, no, he says he's 18. So he's a legal adult, right? Right. Okay. So technically, he can schedule his own MRI. And apparently, the doctor is not going to share that information with his parents. I think you have to suspend a little bit of belief there that his doctor isn't going to share that with his parents. Now, maybe that's because he is now a legal adult. I did write that note before the the whole 18 thing gets brought up because I'm like, there's no way he's scheduling an MRI by himself. And whatnot. But maybe that's the case. Maybe it's because he's an adult, but that's where the crux of suspension of disbelief comes from, I would say, is the fact that his doctor doesn't share that information with his parents. Right. So, uh, good point. Um, I didn't catch that until this viewing, you know, why do the parents not know? Uh, there, mm-hmm. I, I had the subtitles on, this is where I caught it. There is a conversation between the parents when Tyler comes home after ruining his shoulder during the match. And you can, uh, the mom and dad are talking back and forth. So what happened was, uh, after he met with the doctor, uh, he told the doctor that I will tell my parents myself. He, they said, they, they mentioned that the doctor said that he wanted to talk to the Tyler wanted to tell his parents, you know, on his own. And that's why the doctor didn't call and tell them was because, Tyler's told the doctor that he was going to tell him himself. Obviously, he didn't. Uh, we know that uh, because of what happens and the reaction that dad has. Uh, we, we find out that Tyler did not tell his parents. He kept, you know, what is he kept his injury of his shoulder being really, really bad a secret um, because he had the fear of disappointing his parents. So uh, I am with you. I was within the same boat of why on earth would the doctor never call? And the reason why is because of uh, the conversation that they had. It's easy to miss because it's like in background dialogue um, that the parents have. So there's your answer, I guess. Uh, the answer is Tyler told his doctor he's going to tell him himself. He's 18 after all. Um, never did. And that's why the doctor never told the parents. Hmm. So the moral of the story is don't believe 18 year olds. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Exactly. Um, music is also a big factor in this movie. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. What do you think of the music? Because it there's a music that plays in almost every scene, it seems like. 
Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. The the music, like just like the camera, is a character in and of itself. If this this music almost feels like it was made for the film. Uh, now there mm -hmm. is, of course, musical score to this film yeah. by Trent yeah. Reznor, Atticus Ross. That's different than actual like soundtrack portions mm -hmm. of it. Um, the soundtrack portions of it are licensed songs from Tame Impala, Frank Ocean, Kanye West, Kendrick Lamar, Animal Collective, ASAP Rocky. You know, etc. There's a bunch of different artists that are here. Um, and this is a film, I remember I read, or I think I heard something that, uh, when Trey was writing the script for the story, he had like specific moments of when the song would come in in the script and when it would end, um, and that kind oh, of wow. thing. And like the music that he chose was specifically chosen, you know, for that scene and for the story. That's unusual. So, yeah, it really is. It absolutely is that, you know, he had timed out basically how, you know, what what point in the song and where we come in and that kind of thing in terms of the scene. So I absolutely love the music in this film. There's a lot of music here that I don't wouldn't normally listen to. A lot of it is rap, especially in that first half. Um, but it's stuff that I've like, even though I wouldn't listen to it, you know, outside of the film. Uh, it's stuff that works so well in the context of the film um, that, you know, it be, again, becomes a character just as much as the camera is in the story. It's music that fits very, very well into, into the story and also the scene that is put in, um, which I think is surprising because that's something that I don't think I've really ever seen before. I mean, obviously you have, you know, those movies that use a lot of like, say 80s songs and they'll fit it into a scene and it may work, but it's also like pop 80s or whatever. This is different. <laughs> this is, there is some popular stuff in here, but there's also a lot of stuff that I, from bands I had never heard of which I think is interesting. So I love the music in this movie, even though I may not like it outside of the film. <laughs> I don't like it outside of the film. I think for the most part, it is well utilized. I think my problem with it is I feel like it's just too often that a musical cue comes in, which can, I think it can either make or break a film. It can either make or break the emotionality of a film is either are you leaning on music to create the emotion or are you relying on the actors in the scene to create the emotion? I don't think that's quite necessarily the case. I think it's just a matter of, okay, cue the music again, especially in Tyler's portion. It is a lot. A lot. Yeah, there, there's music. a lot more music, especially uh, more rap songs that mm -hmm. are in his portion of the, of the movie than in Emily's portion. Yeah. I think what's also interesting too is how... Trey uses this music because sometimes it'll bleed into the next scene. Sometimes it'll start off and then it'll come from the source in the next scene. Um, sometimes it starts and then ends and it's just like a portion of the song. Uh -huh. um, sometimes background noises are used to introduce the song. Um, mm. It's so interesting just, and this is kind of bleeds into not just, you know, the songs that are used, but also the sound, the, the sound effects and how the sound mixing was done in this film because uh, to me, this is one of the best sounding movies I've heard in a long time, at least one that stands out the most, right? And definitely does some very, very unusual things. Um, I think it's wildly interesting. And I think that's partly why I enjoy the music so much is because how Trey takes the music and the sound effects and the environment of the scene and then morphs it around, you know, the whole point of the story and how he does that is incredibly unique. Because like, again, there are the, the way that he introduces and stops and uh, replays portions of songs is not something you ever see. I don't think I've ever seen at least the way that the music and the sound effects are handled in this one. I don't think I've ever seen that in the story. And I think that's very, very interesting. 
I will agree with you. The editing and sound mixing is pretty good. That was pretty obvious to me watching the movie mm -hmm. that stood out as they did well done with that. The other main thing that I've noticed is lights, the usage of colors in the movie, particularly at least in the beginning, red and blue. Tyler has red and blue curtains. I feel like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense until the accident happens towards the end of the first half of the movie where you see the red and blue ambulance lights. To me, that shows that the red and blue in Tyler's room is kind of a subtle but obvious in-your-face warning that he's kind of headed for the ambulance or the police sirens or something along those lines. There is this clear, you know, those are kind of like you think of those as opposite colors. To me, you mm -hmm. think I think this is kind of an emergency waiting to happen, but everybody's ignoring it and nobody's paying attention to it. So that's how I see the usage of colors metaphorically in the movie. Right. And we also see how, you know, the there are two halves to the story, right? There's mm -hmm. the red, the red and the blue are opposite colors. And we also get to see how the two halves of this movie are almost polar opposites in ways. Um, yeah. In terms of tone or in terms of, you know, what it's striving for. Um, I think it's also at least part of, you know, what the why the choice of color, for, especially for Tyler, is red and blue. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned, of course, there's also, you know, police sirens are red and blue. Um, so they're opposite colors to draw attention, um, which we do see. But we also find that, you know, it's something that for even though it was supposed to draw attention like a like a cop car is when they flip on their lights it's one that isn't caught until it's too late for these characters i think it's also interesting mm -hmm. um as well one of the other things i do want to talk about now that we're talking about the police sirens is tyler's downfall scene the scene when he runs or he f escapes and uh his parents and meets or i guess traps uh alexis in that house in during the homecoming <laughs> night yeah. When I was watching this scene, I remember being in the theater, I was floored, especially with the way that it ended. Oh, yeah. Because it's one of those things where it flips back and forth between three different point of views. Um, I guess more than more than that, it, it points between, of course, Tyler's and his parents. And then we get a short uh, scene of Alexis's parents. We get a short scene of back at the house uh, with an Emily's point of view. We get dad splits off from mom and he's, you know, on his own. And it, fl it flips back and forth between him and other, and other points of view. I think that this scene is wild and also almost executed to near perfection because it builds up everything that we've had before this. It builds up into this one moment and then it all just falls apart really, really quickly. But also one of those things where you couldn't do that without the visuals, you couldn't do that without the music. The way that Trey Edward Schultz puts it all together for us to see this downfall is again, almost near perfection to me. And it gets me every time. It gives me shivers every time because, or these goosebumps because it's just executed so well, at least in my opinion. I had forgotten how this scene played out. So it was definitely jarring to me to see how it all comes to this very violent, sad end. Once again, you see mm -hmm. the color red. She's wearing a red dress. Um, he has blue on his jacket for his Letterman jacket. Uh, blood, red blood on the floor. Um, I don't remember what color the sister's dress is. Anyways, there, yeah, he's definitely multi-layering the scene between 
editing, between music, between acting, between color. He's really bringing our attention to a lot of different things. It's very interesting because there's the rising action. It hits that point. Then there's the falling action afterwards. Then we have like another rising action as far as the sister yeah. story goes and the family story goes and then another falling action. So it's very unique. I think that is a, a well done scene also. Um, definitely tense. Definitely felt like something's coming to a boil here. Once again, very hard to watch, I would say. Very hard to watch him mm-hmm. cuss out his parents, fight with his dad, like physically yeah. fight with his dad. And then ultimately, yeah, I don't know how you want to say it, kill, manslaughter. I don't know what legally it comes out to be. It lands him life in prison. And I don't think it's just because the death of the lady, but because she was pregnant. So it's like essentially a double homicide. Um, right. Okay, so Alan, I forgot. I thought he might have actually died, and I thought he was um, dead for the whole movie. Um, when I that's that was my recollection of it until come to find out he goes t- to jail for life in prison. That was the twist I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. I thought he died in the sequence as well somehow. So def- definitely a oh yeah no no oh, he goes yeah to prison. it's definitely definitely emotionally intense. And I love the way that, you know, and we can kind of, this is going to lead into, uh, you know, how he works with the aspect ratio oh, yeah. because That's right. um, at from the beginning of the story up until the right before he hits Alexis and kills her, um, we see how the frame is kind of shrinking on mm-hmm. him, right? Uh, it goes from, I think it's not quite full 16 by nine, but it's like pretty close to it. And then it just kind of slowly the top and bottom keep shrinking down and down until he hits Alexis and she smacks the floor and then it goes black for a second. And then when it comes back, it's a four by three. Um, and we get to see how it's just a, also just a shot on him as he's looking at Alexis and it just kind of lingers there for a second. And then it eventually pans over. And we see Alexis on the ground and she's bleeding. Um, I think what Trevor Schultz does really, really well is he uses the aspect ratio to its fullest advantage here. And we definitely saw this in Krisha as well. He did also mess with the aspect ratio there. Um, and this one is a similar feeling. I think what he's going for is to kind of show that the walls, at least in this first half, the walls are closing in on uh, on Tyler, the character. And the farther he goes and the more he you know rejects trying to you know do something right or get some help, the the more those walls close in until finally it reaches its apex when Alexis is put is 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 hit and she's on the mm-hmm. floor. Um, that's when it reaches its apex and it goes to the most restrictive aspect ratio of the film. Um, and then eventually pulls out of that as as well as after we reach into uh, Emily's point of view. But I think that you know it's interesting that he would use. I feel like he's using almost every uh, aspect there is to filmmaking to tell the story, right? He's changing the aspect ratios. He's utilizing color to its fullest potential. He's using music and sound effects to also wrap in and tell the story. It's very interesting how he, what all he uses to, you know, you know, add some more flavor to this film. Yeah, definitely wraps it all in there. Um, as for the aspect ratio, I do think... If you're paying attention, sometimes it will take you by surprise um, that the aspect yeah. ratio changes. It is, I think, well done. Yeah, the walls are definitely closing in. Like you said, everybody's world just got a lot smaller. They're just not seeing as much. I believe at a certain point, it goes into a 235 by 1 aspect ratio, which to me mm-hmm. says that 
they are seeing things their their horizons are opened up they have a wider outlook on life it's not the same outlook anymore um until the movie kind of comes back full circle and you know it, it's a part of the journey it's a part of the transition and he does this is almost i would go so far as to say experimental with certain things as far as he uses the camera yeah. the aspect ratio the usage of right. color and even the usage of sound it's i would say for the most part very unconventional as far as making a movie mm -hmm. goes when you think of a movie this is not outside of no this is outside of the norm is what i'm trying to get at yeah oh yeah i will say you're either going to love it for that or you're going to take it as a whole and it's just not going to click with you which i think we're we're on two different sides of the coin of this stuff just like with the brother and sister yeah there is stuff i like about how he does does it but at the same time i'm probably not clicking as much with cinematography with the music with whatnot and i think this i didn't want to tip my hand with the trailer but i think if i would have saw the trailer mm -hmm. and then come to see this movie i think i would have felt a little deceived because the trailer looks to be more of a conventional heart heart you know heartfelt drama hard-hitting drama the movie is still that it's just really stretched out i would say i would think you get all of that there's just a lot more pockets in between a lot more spaces of life where you're just it's not as tight as the trailer's going to make it out to be so that's that's the thing that threw me off a bit i would say yeah it i think you're definitely right in saying that it's a little bit more experimental i would say it's borderline mm -hmm. experimental yeah. Filmmaking, it's definitely not over that line, sure. um, but it, I think it does prod mm -hmm. into it a little bit. Um, I have seen a couple of experimental films, and they are sure. <laughs> weird um, and strange, and they're definitely yeah. unconventional, of course. Uh, th but this is, by all means, a, a very unconventional film. Uh, I will not, I will not dispute that. Uh, and I, and I think that's why I partially kind of fell in love with this movie, is because I feel like we see the same thing so often. Um, we see, you know, there feel like there are almost like unwritten standards or unwritten rules for, you know, how films are made nowadays. Now, of course, there's definitely more with, you know, Hollywood films than anything. But I feel like, at least for me, you know, seeing a film like this, it's a breath of fresh air because it feels like the filmmaker, while it wasn't very popular in the box office, I mean, for Pete's sake, it, the highest, uh, the highest ranking it got was 21 in the mm. box office at 570 yeah. theaters. So was it wasn't exactly the most popular film in the world and part of that's due to or part of it if not all of it the blame is mm -hmm. for a24 um but my point is this is a movie that i've never seen before it's a film that i feel is you know so unconventional that it's you know often its own league not necessarily experimental fully maybe parts of it are but I would much rather, I'm glad I got to see this. I'm glad this film was made because it's a breath of fresh air. You never see a film like this. Uh, very one, Maybe once in a blue moon, if you're, if you're lucky and you, you know, go snooping around the Criterion <laughs> channel, you'll find something, right? So I think that's what, that's what may, at least draws me toward it the most is, you know, it takes the conventions of what we normally see and just says, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. And I love that because it definitely opens the door for, you know, how creative then 
can Trey get now that he's done something like waves? And that's why I'm curious to know what he's going to do next. But um, I got to say, uh, I think maybe we're on maybe a little bit of a different fences here. Uh, I like that it is experimental and kind of does its own thing without being like super outlandish. There, there are films that just get way out there that are also present on the Criterion channel. This one I think is one of the more normal E, but still unconventional films that are out there. Well, Alan, I think it's no surprise, but uh, what is your rating and recommendation for Waves? Waves is a film that I feel like I keep uh, falling in love with more that I, the older I get. And I mean, it's only been, I guess, a couple of years since I've seen it, since it came out. Um, but the more that I watch it, the more I love it. The The more that I am able to explore and go into Trey Edward Schultz's mind and also the world that he creates, the more I'm falling in love with it. Because there are scenes in this that to this day still make me tear up. One of them is the daughter, fa the father-daughter fishing scene, which is on the poster. It's kind of like the poster child for this entire film. Amazing. Uh, along with Trey's downfall, or Trey's downfall, Tyler's downfall. Again, I, I mentioned that a bit, a bit ago. It's all executed to almost near perfection, at least, at least to me. Um, I love this film. I absolutely adore this film because it's one of those things as we were just talking about. It hits, it has a lot to say, a lot of really important things to say, but at the same time, does it in a very unconventional manner. And for me, that keeps me engaged the whole time. It might be two halves of, the, uh, of a film that go in two different directions, but never once has, at least you don't see very often, I'll give, I'll give it that, where a film uses everything um, that you can use in a film, sound, color, aspect ratio, the picture, the acting, of course, and the story writing, uses that and tries to manipulate it and change it to tell a story in its own unique way. You don't see everything being used like that very often. So I love this film. I absolutely adore it. I can't recommend it enough. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 10 out of uh, 10 out of 10 is definitely one that I think is not one that everyone's going to drive with, but it's one that I absolutely adore. And it is definitely one of my favorites. While waves has a worthy message about redemption and forgiveness, the journey there for me is just stretched too thin, either making it feel somewhat unsure about how to approach the next subject. My biggest compliment for the movie are the performances. I think there is some solid acting here and some really heartfelt themes throughout the movie. I'm going to take the opposite of Alan. I don't really like the usage of color or even necessarily the cinematography for that matter. But for a third film, Schultz shows he has a really promising future in movie making. I just hope his project, his next project is more tight. But that's just me. I'm saying that as, you know, that's my what subjective point of view necessarily, right? For me, I'm going to give Waves a four. It's a four out of ten. It's a not recommend. Oh, wow. I know. I knew you were going to be shocked with that one. Boo. Boo. <laughs> but <laughs> I have to be honest. I After my second viewing, I've just realized that while I think there's a lot of merit, this movie just isn't for me. It's one of those movies, I think, in the first few minutes, you're either going to realize, like, I think like Alan said, you're either going to love it or you're probably not going to click with it. And unfortunately, I just didn't click with it. 
And that's fair, right? This is, I mean, the last few minutes we've been talking about how, you know, it is rather unconventional. It's not like your standard Hollywood pictures. I love it for that, but I recognize that not everyone's going to hold the same opinion. I'm always on the search for, I want something new because I feel like, you know, everything's kind of samey. Um, so when I find something new that also isn't pretentious, mm -hmm. Um, then I'm usually very happy about that. This is one of those things. And to be fair, I do kind of have a soft spot for Trey Edward Schultz because <laughs> Kreisha is also a great film that I absolutely adore. Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of feels like Kreisha too, almost. It does. There's a lot of elements here that definitely have similarities with Kreisha. Um, but of course, it's still very much on its own. This is not so similar that they're, you know, hard to tell apart. But no, I do, I do understand what you're saying. Uh, this is definitely a film that, is not meant for everybody. Um, it's definitely a film that is going to be a little bit controversial because it's unconventional. But at the same time, I'm glad that I can at least own it on Blu-ray because a lot of times films like these are hard to come by. And it is interesting that you call this Kreisha too, because I think you're right. He does want to delve back into exploring some of those themes from Kreisha. The thing is, Kreisha is 83 minutes. This is this movie is 135 minutes, so mm -hmm. there's a lot more to this. Whereas Kreisha felt a lot more tight. Now I gotta say, Alan, now I'm really curious to watch it comes at night. I gotta check it out. Yeah, I am too because, like I said, I haven't seen it since well, whenever I watched Kreisha, how many years ago? I again, I own it on Blu-ray. I don't know why I haven't watched it. Um, so yeah, no, I need to go back and see that one now that I've seen now that we've talked about the other two of his. Um, yeah, maybe someday we can talk about it on the podcast, but I'm with you. I want to go back and I want to watch it. Um, it's definitely one that I'm surprised I actually haven't gone back to watch yet. Well, Corbin, now that you've seen Waves, is there anything that you would recommend to the audience to watch afterwards? I do. I have three recommendations. The first recommendation is actually a TV series. It's called One Tree Hill. And I think it takes a lot of the themes in this movie, makes them probably more palatable to more of a mainstream audience and, mm. you know, goes throughout the TV series because it's about a sports star in high school whose father is too hard on him and a lot of heartbreak, joy. A lot of these themes happen along the way. Now, honestly, Alan, I could see you probably not liking One Tree Hill at all. Because okay. it's probably, it, it is a CW show, if that tells you anything. So it's probably not as, you know, high level or well executed as this. But I really enjoy One Tree Hill. I think it probably takes this stuff in more of a mainstream way, like I said. Um, I'm also going to be recommending Lady Bird. I think okay. these two movies kind of gave me similar feelings where it's about, you know, high schoolers trying to navigate life. Well, I wasn't crazy about Lady Bird. I think Lady Bird was one I would probably return to over this one and a little bit more interesting. And my final recommendation is The Florida Project. That movie is very well done up until the very end, but I think yeah. that's another kind of slice of life movie that piques my interest. And I think if you found Waves interesting or if you found Waves a little bit too much for you, then I think these recommendations might suit you. 
So my first recommendation is going to be Kreisha. No surprise there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've liked this one, Kreisha is it's got some similarities to it. Um, definitely a lot more somber than this, especially with how it ends. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to recommend, this one's a bit different, but we both have seen it, Corbin Freaks and Geeks, this TV series. Oh, I love um, that show. Not as hard hitting <laughs> as this is, but right. definitely takes uh, a little bit of a slightly different approach to the high school drama than other TV shows do. Yeah. Um, keeps it more realistic while at the same time still being a comedy. I'm also going to recommend another, I think this is A24. It's by the same guys who did uh, Uncut Gems recently, Good Time. Uh, oh. the, the music in that movie is great. Uh, by one, uh, his name is 10 Tricks Point Never, if I remember right. Um, great, great, great music. Um, and also, from my memory, pretty good film as well. I need to watch it again, but that's what I'm going to recommend. And of course, anything else from A24, they all have you know somewhat similar feels as it is. Mm -hmm. So that's true. I mean, if you like this one or you like other A24 films, and you know, there's definitely more out there to check out. Yeah. So I just pulled this up right now. It looks like um, Schultz's next project is a TV series. Oh, really? Yeah, he hasn't been doing hasn't done a whole lot since uh, since Waves came out. I mm -hmm. know there have been a couple of things that have gone around, but yeah, uh, Cut Block. Um, it's very early in production. Um, yeah, but I'm curious to see that whatever wherever it comes out. Maybe it'll be Showtime if it comes out on A24. I'm curious to know where he's going to go because this was a film that, you know, didn't make it to the Oscars. It didn't release in hardly, <clears throat> hardly any theaters. Mm -hmm. So A24 kind of buried this one. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think they, yeah. they were going for a different film. I forget which one released that year they were going for. But all right. Well, the question of the show is uh, what's the best song in the movie? There are a lot to choose from. There are a number of popular artists. There are a few that I didn't know existed until the movie came out. Mm -hmm. But that's the question. What is the best song in the movie? And of course, you can email your questions to servicegreenguy95 at gmail.com and we'll read them out in the show if we get any responses. Well, Corbin, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Well, listeners, make sure to come back next week uh, as Corbin's going to be continuing the Die Hard franchise with Die Hard with a Vengeance or Die Hard 3. Uh, he, we did take a little bit of a detour just this one week to talk about Waves, but you definitely don't want to miss the continuation of the Die Hard series with Corbin's review of Die Hard with a Vengeance. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, 
Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. And right. the fact that I have no idea what Schultz's faith is, I don't know. But this movie seems to be, oh, there's a plane. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to have to re-record. Oh, it's a loud one too. Good thing it's not a jet. Goodness. Those are really loud. My goodness. We had a black cock over the house the other day. That was fun. Are you serious? Oh yeah, I shook the whole Holy house. Holy cow. Yeah. <clears throat> To me, it's hard. Now, maybe this is what you were saying earlier also, because I know this is, I looked at some of the reviews. Some people, hold on. <coughs> <coughs> I told, told you the coughing spell would come eventually. <laughs>